This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Happy New Year, or Happy New Beer, or if you're this way inclined, <gasps> Hoppy Brew Beer. It's the Hot Forward Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the first Hot Forward Podcast of 2019. I hope you had a great Christmas. I know some brewer friends of mine literally had Christmas Day and, wait for it, Boxing Day off. So if you got more time off than that, well done. Give yourself a pat on the back. It is not easy work. Um, moving swiftly on, we're just, we're just plowing into the new year now. Christmas is gone. It's like a speck in the distance. Actually, that reminds me, um, Blue Monday, which is the the saddest day of the, the year, apparently, is coming up on the 21st of this month. And there's some mathematical equation. It's like the furthest day away from Christmas, but it's the time in which everyone's New Year's resolutions to... Um, live a better life, not drink as much, you know, press on with their dry annuary. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, and all the rest of it all sort of crumbles to bits and all your credit card debts come in all at once and everybody's really, really sad. So well done. You can cheer them up by either brewing or dispensing or selling beer to people. So no doubt you're aware that there are over a staggering 2000 breweries in the UK now. And get this, a whopping 7,000 in the USA. Did you know, on average, in the States, 12 new breweries open every week. Every week, that's insane. 12 new breweries every single week. However, don't be totally fooled by those numbers, because many of these breweries, both in the UK and abroad, are what we consider nano breweries. So these are small breweries that are under 200 litres-ish. Um, they are essentially the commercialised home breweries, or they're at least that kind of scale. So in the UK, a good example would be, and I did a bit of research on this, uh, the Bulletproof Brew Co., which is basically a glorified homebrew setup in the back garden of founder Patrick Lawrence's mum's house in Plymouth. His mum's house. Um, or Accidental Brewery, um, which is a 140-litre nano brewery and tap room making use of some really nice SS Brewtech gear and creating some unique uh, beers to be served on site. Uh, big shout out to Mike if you're listening. Then there are some American, well, not some, there are a lot of American breweries like this, um, such as the Good News Brewing Company, that are just a one uh, brewer's barrel. Well, they were until I saw on Instagram the other day that they'd ordered some, uh, I think there were seven barrel tanks. Uh, but they've been like a, a one barrel brewery, again, using SS Brewtech stuff, but they've got about seven or eight uni tanks and they brew every day and serve pizzas and stuff. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, an eatery as well as a microbrewer. Or closer to home, my good friend Div Lanigan, shout out to Div if you're listening, of Ride Bruco in Glasgow. He's got, I think it's a 1.5 barrel kit, but he's got several fermenters and he brews seven days a week. Now, um, I am going to get Div on the show because he's really sound and he's always got a lot to say. Um, but I thought I'd cut to a clip of me and him chatting at Ciba Beer X last year. I apologise about the sound quality. 
we both suffer from a disease called otosclerosis, which is essentially where you go deaf. Um, so the, I didn't get the levels right, and we'd had one or two shandies. And um, so it's all quite loud and a little bit distorted, but um, I love what it's got to say about how much he enjoys it. So we're just going to cut to that, just as an example of someone who's doing nano brewing. So I'm here at the Ciba Beer X conference in Liverpool, and I'm joined by uh, Dave Lanigan um, of Ride Brewery, not R Wright Brewery, Scottish accent, mate. Um, so yeah, welcome to the podcast. Mm, uh, thanks, thanks for having me. So um, yeah, we've just been talking, and and I want to sort of interview Dave because he's he's making a living on a, a nano brewery kit, which is 1.5 barrels. So what, what's that in liters? About 200 and it's about 240, I get out of each batch, roughly. So. How do you do it? <laughs> uh, I work seven days a week. <laughs> Sometimes 18 hour days if it's a bad day. If I get a stuck mash or something, I'm there a lot. I'm there a lot, but I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm my own boss. I can brew on a Saturday if I want. And it's a small enough kit that I can do some pretty crazy beers on, which has been good. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is tough work, but I love it. It's great. So what made you get into craft beer in the first place? And in, like into thinking I, I want to start my own brewery I think it was when I had kind of worked in breweries and distilleries and was making some pretty good homebrew and thought I can do this I've got no qualifications in it or anything it's all self-taught so yeah it's good it's good but yeah like I said a lot of work a lot of work but worth it starting to see light at the end of that tunnel and it's not a train <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so as a nano brewer doing it by yourself like talk us through a typical brew day for you and um, don't hold back in sort of the you know giving the full reality um, get there about 7 hot liquor tank will be at temperature um, it's a very manual kit I've got all I've got is a timer on my hot liquor tank that is it the rest of it is all light switches to turn off pumps and things like that um, so I will Generally the night before I'll have weighed my grain out, so I'll have my grain all weighed out. I'll tip down to the mash tun uh, as they pump in hot water. Uh, while that's while it's mashing, I'll be doing my HMRC duty return, I'll be bottling, I'll be kegging, casking. Then once the mash is over, I'll start to transfer it over and start to sparge. I can leave that, that'll just do it itself, it's really good to just leave it to sparge itself. Then once I cover the elements, both both elements on, then I'm weighing out hops as that's getting to temperature and it is very very busy day, very busy day. My average brew days probably can be the quickest. Will be maybe I can get it done in some six hours, six hours with all the other stuff in between. Um, generally getting home at half six at night. So it's not it's yeah it's a lot of work. I keep on saying, but I love it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Report to myself. It's great. It's great. I've got people who regularly buy. I don't have any very little stock because it all disappears once it's made, so, yeah, yep. But it's definitely washing its face now, so I'm happy, happy. Fantastic, so, I mean, you were saying that you've got, like, nine nine fermenters, and if you're brewing every day, effectively, you're a 13-and-a-half-barrel brewery yeah. brewing on a 1.5-barrel kit. Um, what sort of beers are you creating? Yeah, I do a lot of IPAs, a lot of IPAs. Um, I did a collaboration season with Merchant City here, here. Um, you should check them out, they're really good. Uh, we fermented that in a white wine barrel, straight into the white wine barrel. It was full of all the tartaric acids. We pitched in saison yeast, loads of bacteria, loads of um, brets and stuff. So loads of what's the one we used? Pediocyclase was all poured into it. So yeah, lots of IPAs. I do a lager, which I can't keep in stock. 
once it's made, it's gone. Um, uh, I do a New England IPA, which is in here, which was one gold in Scotland. So um, it's up for regional. It's been announced in about five, ten minutes. So yeah, I'm really nervous about that. <laughs> but walking in and seeing like some of my favourite breweries I was up against, like uh, Top Out, Top Out, the Cohen, fantastic beer, uh, Windswept, anything by Windswept is amazing. I was in with them. Um, yeah. And like it's been it's been really good. Really good. So that's probably the kind of non IPA like thing. Yeah. So I mean obviously nano brewing is a re- it's a really good entry point for, for people. I mean that's how I got into it. Um, but for people looking to get into the beer industry it's, it's a good entry point. What what advice would you give to somebody who's maybe a home brewer thinking I want to do this professionally as a job, like what what would you sort of say to them? I would say do it. Life's too short. Life is far too short if you want to do it. Get a good business plan set up, go to the bank and say, I need however much you think you need for whatever kit you want, and do it, do it. Don't listen to naysayers who say you can't do it. Do you think banks are still lending? I think more so now. I think more so now, yeah, you can go to a bank. So yeah, sorry, if you want it from Lockloan, making a funny face at me. <laughs> yeah, thought she was going to get, get involved. Brilliant, well, yeah, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Tell our listeners where they can find out more about your brewery. Uh, ridebrewing.co.uk, uh, Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, oh yeah, from Scotland, Marchtown, we beer shop, and McFabs, you can get keg, kegs, bottles, and cask. Happy days. Brilliant, thanks. So that's Div Lanigan talking about Rye Bruco, last year's Seba BRX, and somebody else I also met at Seba BRX is going to be my next guest. So as you probably figured out, we're talking about nano breweries this week. Now, some of our listeners are running much larger breweries than that. But regardless of where you are, if you find yourself dreaming at the start of this new year about starting your own brewery, and don't be put off by all the brewers out there whose advice will be don't, because there is good reason for that, which I'll go into in a different episode. But the good news is you can start small, and which is exactly where you should be starting small you can get a license from hmrc or however it works in your part of the world and scale up make some beers from home or in a small lockup or unit or something and then scale up from there don't just blow your inheritance or your retirement fund on a 20 barrel brewery and you're doing well if your retirement fund or your inheritance could afford a 20 barrel brewery um feel free to write a check to hot forward limited yeah anyway but, you know, you want to be testing the market, making sure that people buy into your brand, that your your beers are good. Go on a course, get your general brewing certificate and learn the ropes. Learn what it means to make a consistent beer time and time again. And that's the beauty of going nano first. You can scale up from there. If you saw online, Verdant Brewery, who are based in Falmouth, posted on their website recently a photo from Instagram taken in 2014. Um, even had a typo, there will be beet. I think they meant there will be beer. Um, and there was a one barrel, which is 163 litres, uh, kit in a shipping container. And a mere four years later, they've raised over a million pounds to expand their brewery to a new 35 hectolitre brewery. So as the Richard Hawley song goes, from Little Acorns Grow, Mighty Oaks. Um, so this leads me on to my next guest. Um, again, I met Kate Russell from Inner Bay Brewery at last year's Seba Beer X in Liverpool. And um, 
if you thought the uh, interview with uh, Div was a little bit ropey, then by that point, um, after a few more double IPAs, um, it wasn't the best recording ever. So, but I, I thought what she, when I talked to her, she had some great insights to share. So I recorded this a short while ago, um, chatting about how she set up a brewery in her outbuilding to the rear of her property, how her husband sort of um, designed some of the, the bottle filling and basically how she brews around her family life. So if you're thinking of setting up a brewery of your own or you just want to be reminded of the golden days of when you set yours up, back when you were doing it in your kitchen and you were chit-chatting with your mates, kicking back a few bottles of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and dreaming about running a brewery then actually found yourself opening one and you were doing about 90% cleaning and 10% paperwork um, then check out our interview with Kate Russell from Inner Bay Brewery. Well today on the podcast I'm joined by Kate from Inner Bay Brewery. How are you? I'm good thank you. It was good to hear from you. Yes uh, so we met at Seba BRX in Liverpool this year and I thought you had a really interesting story um, and I'm starting to discover a lot of people have this a similar story to yourself so why don't you just sort of fill us in with Ida Bay Brewery and, and what you're up to? Um, at the moment we are one barrel 160 litres so I would brew every 10 to 14 days with one fermenter and um, after the summer I'm hoping that we'll, we'll go up to two fermenters that allow me to brew weekly so in terms of output very very small um, we started out in 2014. At the time, I was on a career break from my job, and um, I was looking at something that I could fit around a young family. And um, my husband was home brewing at the time. And with my background in biology and chemistry, um, we kind of started joking that it would be something that we could take forward. And I think it was probably after a few too many home brews, we decided that that was where we were going to go. Always the way. <laughs> Definitely. And, um, yeah, so initially my husband was doing the main brewing and he was he, he engineered a lot of our kit from scratch. And, um, and then last year... I took over from the brewing and the running of the, the general brewery itself and um, we launched into bottle and we've just been growing almost organically since then. That's fantastic. So whereabouts are you based in the country? We are in Inverkeething, which is just north of Edinburgh over the Fourth Road Bridge. Right, okay. So, I mean, what's the Edinburgh's got quite a good beer scene, I believe. I mean, I've been to the Hanging Bat. Uh, for example, which is um, just the most fantastic bar ever, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, oh, well, th th thus is my knowledge of Edinburgh's BSC, but I've heard really good things like, um, I mean, how have you found the sort of uh, brewing scene and beer scene in Edinburgh and that sort of in that area? To be honest, we haven't really gone over that side of the bridge at the moment. Um, we've concentrated very much on sticking within our local radius and it's only in the last week that I've literally gone over the bridge in that sort of it's a big psychological leap in some ways. Um, we're only we're stocking a farm store that's only six miles from us mm. on the Edinburgh side of the bridge. But in terms of Edinburgh itself, I have kind of felt that it has been, excuse me, too far distant to where we are at the moment. And I want to build up 
the experience I've got in the local area before branching into Edinburgh. Yeah. I mean, so what, what are some of the challenges you, you face on such a small scale in terms of like being able to um, branch out further afield? Because you, you might have got like one or two customers, I should imagine, that really like your beers and, and want to take most of your stock. When you're brewing on such a small scale, it's kind of like, do you have to, do you find you have to carefully divide, oh, well, these ones are going to go there and these ones are going to go there and if, then I might have a batch left that I can get into a new place. <laughs> <laughs> very much so and um i mean i i have literally been brewing since christmas and stockpiling and it's just sat there and then in the last week it has just flown out the door and that was my customers that had existed coming through but at the same time i just gone out and thought i need to do a bit of a sales push here because this beer is just sitting around um so it is it's a massive balance we concentrate also mostly on bottle, um, but we have a few pubs that we supply regularly with cask, and it's a balance between making sure that there's enough casks there as well as the bottles, and we do two different size bottles as well. Mm. So, yeah, it's a huge logistical challenge in some ways to make sure that there is enough of each to try and keep everyone happy, and I think in some ways it's my worst nightmare that I might run out of something and – I hope it never happens, but, um, you know, sometimes you run pretty close to the wind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should imagine there's a lot of people out there listening to this who are in a similar position to yourself where they think, oh, I want to start my own brewery, but obviously can't afford the massive outlay it is to set up a commercial microbrewery. So a nano brewery from your home might seem like a good option, but there's quite there's not that much information out there for people who want to do that. So I think this would be a really good opportunity for you to share your experience on just exactly how did you do it and what steps you sort of need to take if you want to go down that route to set just to test the market on such a small scale and find out whether this is something you might want to upscale and do larger on a much more bigger commercial scale i think i think this is us testing the market um you know some of the big difficulties we have at our scale initially were fitting ourselves out um at our size we're betwixt and between a home brew kit and a commercial kit so there there wasn't anything that we could purchase off the shelf so the first thing we had to actually sort out was what were we going to brew in and then then it's dealing with the logistics of hmrc and the local council making sure you've got the legalities as well and then yeah it's it's getting your beer and getting it out there um my my experience is biology and chemistry, so sales and marketing was not my forte, and that, that's been a huge learning experience for me, and I always knew it was going to be, and I've kind of been learning on the go, really, with that. So when you say about the sort of legalities, obviously HMRC and beer duties is one, but what, what other sort of things would people maybe need to consider in terms of their local authority? Did you have to get planning permission um, and that kind of thing, or...? I'm sure you need to look into planning permission. Um, what we have done is we've converted an outbuilding on our property and we have worked with the clause that says that we haven't effectively changed the purpose of the property. Um, so you've got that side of things. You've got your, your health and safety from the council um, in the sense that 
you have got to be licensed as a food premise through them. There's the other aspects as well. As soon as you start to do that, you get weights and measures come in to speak to you. There's also things like what you're going to do with your waste grain and all those sorts of obvious sorts of things. And as well as that, I think in approaching those from a, a practical point of view, we also started looking at doing courses. I went down and did a course with Brew Lab, their startup brewing course. And I think just talking to people, in, in some ways, this is for me a sort of an apprenticeship and I'm looking at a long-term scale and I'm using the small-scale kit from brewing at home where we haven't got fixed overheads to look at, is this something that's going to be feasible that I could do in the future? Is this something that I could expand and grow into to a five-barrel, ten-barrel kit? So that was kind of my approach. And, you know, I haven't got any magic bullets through what I'd recommend in terms of starting out because I'm still learning on the job. Mm. And, you know, I think, you know, I talked to a few people down at Barex and sort of said, what do you recommend as a master's an option? And, you know, people sort of said to me, just get in and brew with other brewers the size you want to be. Mm. What's the dream in your head? What do you envision and how do you think you're going to get there? Well, that's the big question. Um, the The dream would be branching out somewhere to a 10-barrel kit. Um, we would like to be somewhere historic. So there's a bit of a, a, a commercial draw to the actual property itself mm. for wider diversification of, you know, tap room and that sort of thing. So that would be the dream, getting from where we are now to there. Um, not quite at the stage where we've made plans for how that's actually realistically going to happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like I say, it's all a learning experience. Mm. So, so I mean, talk us through your brewery. It sounds really interesting that you've got like an outbuilding. Like, how how big is it? How do you get your malt? I mean, are you getting a pallet of malt, or I mean, how how does that work? And bottles and things like how how does that, how does that work? Well, it's been a, a sliding scale. We started off where we were recycling bottles at the homebrew stage. As soon as we decided we were going commercial, we got in pallets of bottles. That for us was a huge outlay, and we have logistical problems delivering to site as well. So um, we can't actually get the pallet up to the brewery. So we get the pallet to a certain point and then every single bottle is wow. hand moved to where it needs to be. I thought I had problems um, in my brewery, but which is in an old Victorian <laughs> factory, but oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, we have just recently started going to grain, uh, to pallets of grain. Um, originally when we started out, we were buying single bags and, I mean, this is something that people need to consider. You can quite easily buy single bags, but we were paying 25 to £30 pounds a bag, 25 mm. kg a bag for crushed malt. That was allowing us to get it freshly crushed. But, you know, when we're buying it from the pallet, we've got to, to balance that with paying sort of 14 to £16, pound, 25 kg bag. So we're now buying by the pallet, and the way that we are working it is there are a number of small-sized breweries within our area, and we share the pallet with with them. Right. I mean, there's a huge collaborative industry, yeah. and I'm just lucky there's there's at least 
three other breweries the same size as myself or smaller around the area. So um, things like bottles, which I've gone for a, a kind of a, a very specific style and size, they're difficult to share because they're part of my marketing. But yeah. grain, grain we kind of share. Um, we, we let each other know too. You know, I bought some gift boxes not so long ago and I said, look, I've got these available. I've bought a heap of them. I don't need them all. If anyone wants them, please let me know. I'll sell you them at cost. And that's how we kind of get around some of the, the scale problems that you have. Yeah. So I just really picked upon then when you said there are th- three other breweries in the area that are a similar size to you, like a one, one barrel or below. I find that really intriguing. So um, is there a reason why you think that is? Or, or maybe maybe I'm just consuming Sheffield and there's a brewer in every street in Sheffield, but, you know, they're all like sort of 10 barrels or whatever upwards, you know. So it's like to, to find... So when I started, I found it there was only the one other brewery in Sheffield as well, and I don't think they were that keen on talking to me. But you've, you've got like other breweries around of a similar size. Yeah. I find that quite amazing. It is, and it is, and it's, it's a very unique thing to this particular area. Um, I don't know why the reason for that is. We've all got different reasons for starting out the way we have. We've all got alternative income sources, shall we say, <laughs> <laughs> or alternative jobs. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation, and I, I think it's just is a particular passion. Whether it's just a fluke or I don't know, I don't know what it is about this area that's created that sort of yeah. situation. Um, I think what what is quite common is the collaborative nature of brewing. Mm. That you know people will work in together and help you out. You know, I was just at a, a conference the other day and um, was talking to some bigger brewers, and they were saying. You know, one of the things that we haven't scaled up on is hops. Um, we still buy hops in 100-gram backpack bags basically because the, the, we need to get a whole lot of other infrastructure in order to buy in the 5kg bales that mm. the bigger brewers do. And um, they were saying, look, you know, we're getting hops. Just give us a bell, you know. We'll help you out. And th- this is a bigger brewer, so... It's just it's just the nature of the beer industry that they they will help you out. So it, it is fantastic. I was talking to a coffee roaster um, the other day, and he was saying, I mean, he's a he's a home brewer as well with a sort of hundred liter kit. <laughs> Roll at it with a hundred liter kits. Um, <laughs> but he 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 was saying um, how in the coffee industry, he says no one talks to each other. And if you want information or you, you need some knowledge about something, it's like a closely guarded secret. And mm-hmm. there's no sharing of raw ingredients or anything like that. So he was saying when he puts his sort of brewing head on, he says, yeah, I find it amazing because all these, you know, microbreweries are, and, you know, even large breweries are willing to share information and get alongside each other. Whereas in the coffee industry, he just says it's not like that. It's a remarkable thing, really. It is. It is. It's, excuse me, a very supportive kind of industry to be in for that. Mm. Out of interest, you said about how you work as well and the other sort of brewers in the area obviously hold down jobs. Now, I'm aware on such a small scale, it's very hard to just make a living from doing it on 
such a tiny scale and that be your only job. How do you find balancing running a commercial nano brewery, working and family life? <laughs> well, my family life is my other work. So, um, yeah, we we have very small families still with two preschoolers, one's at school, two at, two at preschool. Um, so it is a difficult thing. And um, obviously a brew day is a brew day and you need that time. Mm. Um, but a lot of the other time is flexible. Whenever I'm starting a brew day, I would start at six so I yeah. can be finished to do, do the school run at the end of the day. Um, you know, I'll, it's something I'd say to anyone who's starting up, you've got to have a passion for it because, um, you know, working to midnight would not be unusual. Mm. And at this stage, whilst I have a half a day Monday and Thursday, Friday set aside for the actual brewery, I'm finding that by the time I start doing markets on one of the weekend days, as well as my evenings, what I'm what I'm effectively doing is full time hours, but at flexible times. Um, so it, it is a hard balance, and um, I'm sure my children are getting sick of hearing the sound of <laughs> mums working. Mums, yeah. Do you do you ever yeah. get them to help you mash in or? <laughs> no, but they're pretty good at moving bottles. Oh, that's, yeah. Well, you got a lot of those to move. <laughs> you got a whole family out there lacking bottles up off the pallet. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, what made you sort of want to get into brewing in the first place? You know, even just doing it as a sort of home brewer. Um, we were, we were always sort of into our food and wine, and when you think of beer, you don't necessarily think of you know, sort of the, the high cuisine, food and wine side of things, but you can't make a good wine yourself. And um, on a different note, I have a lot of respect for winemakers who have one chance to get this right. You know, as a brewer, mm. you have lots of chances yeah. to practice. Um, so it's it's been a bit of a an experience in carrying that forward with what we can actually effectively do. And... Um, I know beer and food is not not really. You know, we had a fair couple of occasions where they've tried to put promotions forward to try and get that going, and varying degrees of success. But I still quite enjoy matching different beers with different foods, and it's something I really like. Um, so that's kind of how we got into home brew. It was um, just something that we could produce ourselves to. Um, enhance a sort of a, a foodie lifestyle, if you like. Mm. Um, but the, the whole going into it commercially was a combination of my background being biology and chemistry, my husband's engineering with his experience in home brewing, and um, just the variety of things you have to do. I mean, I think brewing is probably the easiest part of what I do, and it's probably the less time-consuming. Um you've got all the other sorts of management sides of things on the other scale as well as sort of sales and marketing. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting career and no day is ever, ever the same. Mm. So I think that's kind of where it sort of started ticking boxes from looking at from a commercial perspective. Yeah. So if you could kind of give yourself one piece of advice now, what advice would you give yourself from when, when you first started out? Um, going to gym. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
what advice would I give myself? Yeah, I I think you need to, need to have a passion for all of it. it. You know, as I said to you, the brewing is probably the easiest bit, almost mm. the smallest bit of what I do on a day to day basis. Um, so yeah, I I think going into it is is never a lifestyle company; it's a lifestyle. So. Yeah, it's just to be prepared for the hard work. And, you know, you, you start out and it grows arms and legs, so which is a good thing, a good mm. problem to have. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's making the time for it and not allowing it to take over your life. Um, so, yeah, passion, passion all the way through. It's yeah. something – it's not necessarily what advice I'd give myself, um, but – I think you've definitely got to have passion for it and you've got to want to do it more than anything. Um, because like, like, I mean, like you said, when, when the sun's out, which it has been, everyone wants to drink beer. Yeah. And, and um, I'm kind of wish I was drinking a beer right now and I'm not for some strange reason. Um, but you know, I mean, it's been a very long, hard winter and beer sales for, myself and for other people I know have been have been down and when the chips are down and you know the the bills are still coming out it's a very difficult position to be in really exactly and I, I think I mean one of the things that I found hardest really and I guess this is the same for a lot of brewers is actually managing your cash flow mm. um, we have an ongoing joke that I must have my beers priced at a negative level because Every time I um, increase my sales, I need to find some cash flow from somewhere yeah. to meet the other side of things. Um, I think I think just you know for anyone starting out, it, cash flow is a massive issue, and making sure you have much more cash than what you need mm. is, is something that's really important. So did you have a lot of cash to sort of invest in that up front or have you literally had to do it from like ground zero? Um, well, we, we started out, as I said, a lot of our kit was we bought the basics and kind of made it up ourselves. Um, and that goes right through. Um, my husband, as I say, is a, is a brilliant engineer and really thinks outside the box. So, I mean... For example, I've got a bottling machine which is um, distributes the primings and the bottling yeast at the same time as it distributes the the volume of liquid by weight, um, and it's all automated. So it clicks in, clicks out, stops filling when it's all full, and um, that that's just amazing what's been achieved there. That sounds um, amazing. I'm all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really quite impressive. Um, when you compare that to what you know, other is available to other brewers mm. my size, and basically what you're talking about is a gravity-fed trough. Yeah. Um. So yeah, hugely lucky there. Um, still spent quite a lot of money setting up the kit. Um. But as we've been learning on the job, we've found you know we have to prop up bit by bit, you mm. know, I've got a, I've got a, a pallet of grain going out. <laughs> got to find some money for that somewhere. Um, you know, what are we going to do here? Got an investment in casks. What are we going to do here? That mm. sort of thing. So, 
you know, I think we've probably invested a lot more than what we actually think we have in it from the initial setup. Um, yeah. And a lot of that comes down to um, scale of economy as well, being so small. Yep. Um, so, what are some of the other obstacles you've come up against and do come up against, and how have you overcome them? Um, I think scale of economy is the big one. And like I said, uh, a lot of the ways we've overcome it is by um, sharing amongst other brewers. Another big obstacle is time. We have to keep our overheads down and as a result can't really afford to take on anyone else, yet there is actually work to be done for mm. someone else if we wanted to grow. Um, so the res ending result is that I end up doing quite a lot more than what I hours that I have actually available to myself, but I have to do that in order to meet demand. Um, so the, the balance between demand and your time versus taking on a person who's going to be in a salaried position is um, huge. And obviously it's going to be a big step that will, and a big decision that will have to be made in the future um, as to what point is it that the actual income of the brewery can sustain taking on someone with a salaried position. Um, we are avoiding at the moment trying to get any premises with fixed overheads. Mm. Um, we are outgrowing where we are in terms of the, the brew kit takes up no space at all. It's the, the storage and the bottling space and that sort of thing. Um, but as soon as we have got those sort of fixed overheads, then you've got some – massive amount of pressure on you to actually keep that income coming in and you have got to turn a, a profit it um yeah it, yeah i think it would change the nature of the business entirely well that's where it becomes a volumes game at, yes at that point yes. um for sure um have you have you thought about how you're going to sort of bridge that gap between being a, a one barrel and like say a, a five or ten in, in in terms of um, raising the capital and so on and so forth? Yeah, uh, not at this point. We're, I mean, we've got some ideas of what we would like to do in terms of product and how we might market it. How we would fund it is a discussion yet to be had. Um, whether we stick with our one barrel kit but increase the number of fermenters so thereby increase the number of days of brewing but don't have to put the investment into the kit is an interesting conversation i would have to crunch through the numbers to work mm. out is that it's financially viable um or do we go to a bigger kit and brew less often initially with the potential for expansion in the number of brewing days um, with the extra investment in the kit. Um, but, you know, you one-off brew day initially. Like I say, I would have to sit down and crunch numbers. And, yeah, that, that that's a discussion for the future. Mm. So they're, they're really hard. It's a really hard balance to, to address, really, because I guess on such a sort of small scale, you've got that flexibility in terms of what you can brew and, and mm. he, I mean, I don't know if you met Div Lanigan at uh, Cibarex, who runs Ride 
brewery in Glasgow, um, but he's basically, I think he's got like a one barrel setup in terms of the actual size of the kit, but he's got about seven or eight fermenters. So he's in a railway arch and he pretty much brews every day, <laughs> you know, because yeah. he, he sort of, I said to him, like, how do you make a living from doing this? It's like, oh, I brew every day. And like, <laughs> I hope you like my impression. Um, I, I hope when Div's listening, he likes it as well. Um, you know, and he did like an 18 hour day the other day, just brewing something like a thousand litres or something. So, you know, it was insane, really, that he managed to get by. Um, but he has the sort of flexibility to think, well, I can brew this this week and this this week. And he keeps it really fresh amongst the places he's selling it to in sort of small pack and keg. And But I guess when you go to having that larger scale, it's kind of you're kind of lumbered with, you know, one type of beer and it's one thing to kind of be able to sell, you know, a few casks or bottles of one thing and then move on. But when, you know, if you've got 10 barrels of something and like particularly in small pack and people are like, oh, well, I've had that, you know, bottle shop, I've had that. My customers don't want that because they want to try something new every time. Then all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, oh, what, what, what do I do? So it's, I guess on, on the small scale, you've got that agility, but on, you know, that that's when yeah it's yeah how how would you negotiate that oh I think that's a difficult thing I, I mean when I set out to look at where where could we be different that was one of the things that I identified is that we have got the ability to have quite a lot of niche beers um because we are brewing on such a small scale um I guess part of this learning experience is we're lo- working out which niche beers will sell um but you're quite right you know people are always looking for the next beer um so yeah it's it's a difficult thing um that's a lot of beer to shift when you've got 10 barrels so yeah you wouldn't be doing any experimental brews on that size yeah yeah. Yeah, absolutely (laughs) um I find it interesting talking to you in that you sound very much like you've you grounded in terms of you know business and the the financials and stuff um because I mean I come across a lot of brewers that are are just that they're brewers but they've ended up running a business and aren't and find themselves sort of thrust into this world of like you say cash flow and the economies of scale and all the rest of it and um and struggle you know and and have to pick it up. I mean, is that something that have you got background in that kind of thing, or is it just something you've had to pick up? Or no, no, it, it's something that I've had to pick up. Um, I have never run a business myself personally. I have had managerial experience in the jobs that I'm in, and certainly, if I was to pick one of my greatest skills, it would be organisation. Mm. Um, but that, I mean, that doesn't help you run a bro- business. Um, I'm lucky in that. My husband's also the director of a director of this company, but he's got experience in what running rider businesses. So he he's quite a good person to run ideas off. And he will quite often say to me, I don't want to hear this windy whiny talk. What I want to hear is how is this going to improve sales and what numbers are you giving me here? So I think in some ways him acting as a sounding board, having had that experience in the businesses that he's in, um, provides a bit of grounding there. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, it has all been a learning experience from that perspective for me. Um, mm. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today. Um, how can people find out about Inner Bay? Where, where can they try your beers? Follow you on social media? Um, yeah, usual social media channels, Facebook, Twitter. When I remember, I've got a Twitter account. Um, we have a website as well. Um, but, yeah, in terms of trying beers, we're very much a local area. So if anyone's visiting Fife, then they can give me a wee Facebook PM and I'll uh, let them know where they can buy beer. Brilliant. And last question, what would you say to anyone else out there wanting to hop forward in their brewing and beer business? Yeah, um, I think I come back to that point that I made, that it's got to be a passion and not just a passion for brewing. It's got to be a passion for all aspects of a a brewery industry. So um, be prepared to work hard and have fun. Brilliant. Thanks very much. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Forward podcast this week. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and visit our website hotforward.beer for more articles, insights and a range of services aimed at helping you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Until next time, cheers. Right,